ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We love audiobooks and we suspect that you do too. Because you're a Soulful MBA listener, you can get an audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 104, Power. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host and co-founder, Sandy Connery. Hey, Sandy. Ooh, new intro. Thanks. I just felt like it. I felt like we're not just (laughs) hosts. We're more than that. True. So I just want to acknowledge that sometimes. (laughs) So this episode is called Power. And as you were just saying, Sandy, before we started recording, it could also be called Anger. It's really about feminism and women's power or lack thereof in our culture right now. It's inspired by a lot of current events that have been taking place over the last months and year and also about by an article that we've been reading in the cut. It feels to me, Jenny, like we've been tossing around this topic for a little while, but we were just too angry to record it and it probably would not have been very helpful to people. So now once you found this article, it kind of like, okay, this is the framework within which we can talk about this article and a little bit of anger will come through and I'm sure people will understand. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, the article is called Powerful Women Talk About Power and Powerlessness, and it's an introduction by Hannah Rosen in thecut.com. And it's actually, so the introduction is really sort of the article we're going to discuss today, but then there are a whole series. It's like a chapter by chapter, four chapter examination of stories, like individual stories by powerful women or where powerful women are being interviewed about their relationship to power. And the way that Hannah Rosen introduces a series is she says, this isn't a series about women's empowerment. It's a series about women and their relationship to power, how they get it, how they lose it, how they wield it, how they what they sacrifice for it, and ultimately what they hope power will help them achieve. It's really well written. It's I mean, you could just go down a rabbit hole within the chapters of these individual interviews and conversations with different women. And there's a lot to unpack there. So we want to talk about it because I think part of being an entrepreneur is owning your power and laying claim to your power. And it's a piece that a lot of us as women wrestle with. Because even the word power, like I want to say in theory, I have no problem accepting and wanting power. But when I look back, it's like, oh, Sandy, yeah, no, not so much. There's times when you've ducked it or avoided it. You know, even when I had the stores and I hated and did not allow people to call me boss, the boss, like this is my boss, Sandy, I'd be like, oh, I'm just your friend. And I always diminish my role to be more equal because I was uncomfortable 
with that term and the power that came with it. So it's, I could not see that then, but now looking back, I can, can clearly see what was happening. And Jenny, are you comfortable with power? Oh, yeah, I'm totally comfortable with it and, and way more comfortable with it than with other things like money or I don't know, other things that are maybe more third rails for me. Like power is something I'm comfortable with wanting. And I don't know why I think it's just I'm wired that way. And so that's why this is such a, a good topic I think, for us to discuss. But I think you're not alone in being uncomfortable with it. And we've talked a bit about power and feminism when we interviewed Laura Close and her body of work really digs into this stuff. And then in this series, in The Cut, again, this is a series of interviews with, with quote unquote powerful women. Binky Urban is one of the women who's interviewed in one of the chapters, and she's considered to be the most, quote unquote, powerful literary agent in New York City. And she's interviewed about how she feels about that role. And she says, you know, power is such a male word. What I care about is being effective, comma, respected. So she says the only way that could mean power is that I've got a lot of great authors and publishers are less apt to screw around with me. And so she has internalized her relationship to her work as not being about power, right? It's about being effective. And that, I think, is endearing. I think a lot of women would rather be considered effective than powerful. And in fact, in the introduction to this series in the cut, there's a study that's referenced which I just like cannot stop thinking about. And I feel like I've read about this before, something similar before. But there's an NYU professor, Madeline Heilman, who was studying sort of the, the relationship between women and men in the workforce in terms of hiring and promotions. And in a study that she carried out, she gave out resumes, identical resumes for someone named Andrea and someone named James. And all she said to the participants in the study was that the applicants were, quote unquote, rising stars in their field. And Andrea was judged as downright uncivil, even though no information at all was given about her personality. And she said people merely bridled at the thought of what a woman must have done to be labeled a rising star. And that just hit me so hard in just all of the wrong places. <laughs> like, I feel like I was this Andrea. And it just sort of especially, I mean, now too, but especially as a young woman. And and now it's it almost crystallizes my experience for me in terms of like, why were people like that with me? I was so ambitious. Like I called myself ambitious and intense. And I thought those were positive things because the men around me in school and in, in politics and in my work were all ambitious and gunning for something and rising stars, right? And so the fact that I was that, it didn't dawn on me that the perception I had around, like the perception people had of me was potentially negative because I was displaying the same characteristics and ambition as the men I was I was working with. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's fascinating. And, and you know what that reminds me of, Jenny, is we've met in the investor space, we've met women who have worked in on Wall Street, you know, in the 80s and was the only woman in that field. And she displayed all those masculine characteristics because she had to, you know, and so I feel like she had to act this way to be accepted and sort of lose all her femininity. Otherwise, she wouldn't have survived. Yeah. I mean, you get hazed, right? And so it's it's interesting. I mean, I feel like little girls grow up now and I grew up thinking, 
girl power, girls can do anything. And it's really true and really promoted up to a certain point. And then it's like, you can call it a glass ceiling if you want. I think it's something else, but it's up to a point where it's like, oh no, you just overstepped something. Like when you're a 10-year-old little shining star of of a sweet little girl and you're ambitious, it's it's cute. But when you're 25 or 35, it's not cute anymore and you better wa- like sort of back off. <laughs> and I just will say, you know, it's it's so interesting having a daughter and having a child, right? You you're constantly encountering perceptions in our culture and in our society that are to us like we take for granted. So for example, when I was in college, I started and ran a nonprofit that provided uniforms and books and tuition for girls in Nepal to go to school. And part of it was just after having volunteered at an orphanage in the country, I I saw what was happening and the way, you know, little girls were being abandoned so that their families could take care of and raise their sons. And then these little girls are ending up in orphanages and then there's there's no money to pay for them to go to school. And so, of course, as like a bright eyed, <laughs> you know, like thoughtful, save the world kind of mission-driven person, I took it upon myself to, to start an organization. And that's I haven't done that work in a long time, but it came up in conversation, like the country of Nepal came up or something, or like the concept of orphans came up. And so we were explaining to my daughter that like, oh yeah, mommy used to run this, you know, help this house, this orphanage in Nepal and help these girls go to school. And it was like hundreds of girls. It wasn't like some giant scale of millions of girls or something, right? But I did it for for years and I would have little fundraisers and raise money and I would go back to Nepal. And it, it was a really important part of my life and my story. And anyway, but my daughter was like hung up on this idea that these little girls were being abandoned, A, in in favor of brothers, and also B, that they didn't go to school. That it was like, why wouldn't the little girls go to school? Why? And just didn't dawn on her that that was something that was reasonable or possible. And in her world, she's in first grade, like the little girls are all really well behaved, right? And little boys are always getting into trouble. And like, if anyone's going to go to school, it's going to be the little girls that are going to go to school. Oh, that's funny. But I can see that though. If your world is pretty much the genders are equal, yeah, like, well, this wouldn't make any sense. No, it makes like, no and sense. That's so hard to explain. Yeah, and right, and like all of our kids, right? Like I'm sure your son would have a similar reaction. Like, why wouldn't the girls go to school? That doesn't make any sense, right? And so we live in we live in this world where we've we like as you grow up, you get socialized to believe that girls don't have the same opportunities or that at least in certain places in the world they don't or in certain circumstances they don't. But when you're when you're just a little kid and you don't know any better or any worse, <laughs> you you grow up thinking like, "Oh, everyone everything's good and everyone's the same." And I'm sure this is true for like for race and all kinds of other differences, right? And you just grow up not knowing why there would be any discrepancies there. So I think we have it like this series of articles and the series of current events and then my own confrontations or conversations with my my own daughter have really brought some of this to light and just my own lived experience, right? Like have, I've been able to see it in a different perspective after reading articles like this and it, it's it's horrifying. And so I think we're bringing it up on the podcast, A, 
to shine a light on it and B, to say it happens to almost all of us, if not all of us. And C, also start to talk about ways in which we can problem solve these situations. I mean, these are deeply entrenched cultural beliefs and values, but how as entrepreneurs or as small business owners or as people writing their own story in a very intentional way, how do we circumvent this cultural narrative that we're living into? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts of this article was reference to Mary Beard, how she proposes a grammatical um, solution, and that is changing the word power from a noun, from something that you that you own or you possess, but to something that you do. So a noun into a verb. And I think I'm just wondering for a lot of women, does that make things easier? So she makes reference like passing the baton from hand to hand, passing passing the baton, passing the power baton from to, to a different person. Okay, I've got it now. I've got the power. I'm going to do this thing. And is it less, is it easier to accept you being powerful if it is not a trait or it's not, it's not something that defines you or that you were born with? But you know what? Right now, I've got some power. Yeah. And it's it's a choice, right? It becomes something that you choose to take on or live in any given moment. And when she's having that discussion, she talks about power. If you think about power as a verb, as something that you do, it's in relation to ideas like genius, which are innate and which our societies have heavily identified as male traits. And so I think that that's, that's a really interesting solution to think about power. I'm being powerful. Like I, I am being power. I'm acting powerfully. So it's something that at any given moment we can choose to take on and own. And it doesn't have to be this definition of who we are, what our character trait is. Because I think a lot of us, if like, I think this is where, where for me, it starts to make sense. Like, I really value humility and I want to see myself as a humble person and I want to live a humble life. And so like power and humility maybe don't always get along. And so you have to choose one one over the other. But I, I also, again, I think I'm an anomaly because I still, I like power and I don't have any personal negative feelings about seeing myself as powerful or choosing to want to be powerful. Like I don't think it's bad. I think power is... Like power to me allows you not only to live the life you want to live, but it allows you to shape the world around you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's to what power change. really is to me yeah. is like, well, if I don't have that control, somebody else is going to have that over me. And that's terrible. So <laughs> I want all the power I can have because then I get to delegate it out. I don't have someone delegating it to me. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. I agree. And I think for many of us, it's like an awakening recently. I, I mean, certainly since the, the Kavanaugh um, hearings, I think there's a lot of shift. Well, for me personally, I sat and watched that and cried in a hotel room in, in Charlotte because I was traveling at the time. And it just, I, I've i been changed ever since watching that. And w- I feel like we think we have so much power or influence or you know, that we're going to be believed and we're just not. And I feel like I've sort of woken up from a denial of what women's status really is in this day and age. And it it just makes me, that's, I think, part of the anger that I was referencing before. Jenny, you asked about, you asked me about my mother and asked me to share a story about how recent some of these events are. So when my mother was, I think I was in I was like in elementary school and she applied for a a loan to buy a car and she had a full-time job as a nurse, a good, you know, uh, reliable job and a consistent income. And she was denied because my parents had just separated and she was denied the application because they needed the 
the father to sign, her husband to sign, because they weren't formally divorced yet. So they would not give her the loan because the her husband did not sign the loan. And I remember her telling me that story going, why does it matter? And you make more money than he does. And you have a stable job and he doesn't, but yet they need the man to sign. Like it was so infuriating and confusing to me at the time. So I feel much like your daughter, you know, like why can't my mom go get a car loan? She can absolutely pay the payments. That wasn't the issue. And that's what bothered me. That should be the issue, but it just wasn't accepted. She, she was so furious and she switched banks got a loan immediately and has never, you know, would never change banks because they, they did that for her way back in the day, which was in the late seventies, yeah, not that long ago, eighties, maybe I can't yeah. quite remember, but it wasn't in, you know, 1812. No. Yeah. I mean, if you want to have any, if, if this is news to you and you're listening to this in any way, just start Googling around inheritance law and like women and you'll start to see it wasn't very long ago that women couldn't inherit certain kinds of property and that's that's nuts right but these are these are things that have shifted only for many of us in the last generation and in some places they're they've still not shifted so i don't even know how to wrap my mind around this because it's so repulsive to me and i think it's the disconnect of having grown up as a little girl who was told she could do anything and encouraged constantly to be ambitious and then to run into the reality and the roadblock of like, hey, you've gone a little too far now. <laughs> yeah, like we wanted, like we liked the idea of that at t- to a certain degree as a culture. And now like you're, you're sort of pushing you've it. You've gone beyond. You're, yeah, like this know. is threatening something that shouldn't be threatened at this point. So yeah, it's really personal to me. Like I, some of this is too raw for me to even talk about, like my personal experience with having run into some of these roadblocks. And um, maybe one day I will, but it's real. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. I've been thinking a lot about what am I to do to sort of change this? Like it, it's, it goes back to what Tara Sophia Moore said at the conference that it, women are like empowered versus liberated. And I feel like that's the glass ceiling, right? Like we are just not there yet. We think we are. We like in theory, we are. All the laws are somewhat there, but yet there's still all these barriers. When I was in Charlotte, I got uh, the very first night, the, the night before the, the Kavanaugh hearing, I got mansplained and I was so angry I could hardly breathe. And then then the next day I sat and listened to that to that hearing and so it all kind of compounded on, on each other and I was just that whole weekend I was just so mad at the world and it just made me think okay what should I have done what should I have done when this guy is telling me what I should be believing what I should believe he's like well this is what you should believe like really did you that just come out of your mouth? And I'm so angry and I'm so like, 
you know what? I'm not going to change this guy, his attitude. I'm not going to change his beliefs. I'm just going to walk away from this conversation. But I walk away so mad. And I just wish that I, I, I sh- we need to step up and say things in these situations or nothing will ever change. And in that moment, I may not have changed him, but it would have been just one little thing for him to think about. And that maybe later he would have gone, oh, I just did it again. You know, that maybe I am doing that thing. So I, I struggle with experiencing this and some of my own internal beliefs, and but also what to do about it. Like how, as, how do we change this culture? How do we start to point out these tiny little things that add up to an enormous problem in our society? A mass power. A mass power. That's my answer to it. I don't think there's any training anything out of anyone. I think people listen to power. That's what we as human beings do. It's because we need to do it. It's because it's what's economically viable and related to our survival. And people with power have power and they can change, make changes in the culture. And I, I mean... I don't think power is only related to having domination over someone else. Like, I, I think we have to examine what power means, right? Like, in some cases, it's like the power to exercise your freedom of speech or, you know, whatever. But it doesn't have to mean dominion over anyone else. But I think it's it's like looking for all of the the places where you have access to power, whether that's through money, through technology, through information and really cultivating those resources and using them wisely and taking inventory of them. And I, I think we are, there are ways that we have access to power that we don't necessarily use it the best, you know, or the, the most optimally, right? Like, so for example, we have this podcast, right? So this is a way that we exercise our power. I mean, this is a way that we share, debate, communicate ideas, share expertise. We don't have a gatekeeper. There's no one that has anything to do with our ability to use our voice in this way. So that's a way that, Sandy, you and I have chosen to cultivate power in ourselves. And every, like this is a resource that for almost anyone, anyone certainly listening to the episode, this is something that you have access to do, right? And so you can choose do, do you want to? And, and you also have the power to choose not to, but you can choose to, to access that sort of power. There are lots of other things we could be doing, Sandy, that you and I aren't doing that we could be tapping into power, right? And so I think that we have all a constant obligation to look at the ways that we could be accessing our power and our voice and that we're maybe not. And, you know, it's obviously your choice to do it. But Mm -hmm. I think for me personally, Jenny, I agree with what you're saying. I struggle with my own personal power and standing up and standing up for myself, really, in in some public situations. And I always kind of like, oh, it's not such a big deal. It's no, you know, no problem. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to change anything. And I I really want to examine that for myself when I do encounter situations where there's assumptions made about me based on gender statements made. I need to stand up for myself and say something. And that I'm such a, a people pleaser that that's really hard. But I think in the next you know, that'd be my next sort of chapter of my personal development, I think, is to really start to stand up and say, actually, no, I found that insulting. Or did you realize what you just said there? Because I don't think people like in this, this mansplaining situation, I don't think he realized what he, he didn't like go out and try to hurt me. That's just how he is, how he speaks. He doesn't realize how offensive it is. And I think just pointing that out is a small little, you know, micro action, you know, displaying my power. But I think for me, that's what I that's what I need to do. And and but I agree with you. Yeah, there's other ways with with money and technology and businesses and influence and those sort of things. But anyway, that's my own little personal challenge. 
I've decided to live my life as a pit bull. That's what as I, a pit bull. That's like what you're embodying. <laughs> yeah, you know, I sort of it comes out, right? Like it comes out sometimes, and it comes out more and more. And I'm like, huh? So this is like this is what growing up is like. <laughs> like <laughs> I've seen that. I can. I know what you're talking. I know yeah, that. Pit, I'm like, pit bull. like the pit bull doesn't necessarily give someone the benefit of the doubt, right? Like it's like, are you really going to say that to me? Did you really just do that? You know, like it's that. It's that intensity, and maybe that's an American thing. I mean, we've. We can talk about that too. But it's this sense of like, uh uh-uh, no, you didn't just say that to me. Like, how dare you walk away? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think I need that pit bull. That stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And and I didn't have this. Like, this is like, it grows with every microaggression. The little pit Mm -hmm. bull gets stronger and and like meaner. I get it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, really? And I think, you know, entrepreneurship has cultivated that in me. And I think it's doing the same in you. And, and like, you're just not at the same pit bull phase as I am with it. But it's like this, you have to, it's survival, you know? And I, I think you have to stick up for yourself and you have to have a line that you draw in the sand. And if someone crosses it, you have to be willing to attack, <laughs> For lack of a a better way, you know, and I think we're both really kind, gentle, humble, generous people. Too much so sometimes, you know? yeah. Yeah. So, so like that is who we are in our nature, and I think, but I think there's also this other side that we can inhabit if we choose to, and it's usually not doesn't feel safe, but increasingly it feels safer to inhabit that sort of pit bull mode than it does to not to like that's and my that's, perception and that's that's the holding of the power baton it's like i'm taking this and i'm wielding it right mm-hmm. now and i need mm-hmm. to but i don't need to stay in that pit bull mo- oh, of mode of course not right? yeah that's not healthy <laughs> yeah you know and i just want to say sandy though like the study that i referenced at the beginning that's in that the intro to that series in the cut where it's the andrea and the whatever james yeah. whatever the boy's james. name is james mm-hmm. i mean the reaction to those two quote-unquote applicants for the job was the same like women had the same harsh reaction to the woman that that the men in the in the study had right it wasn't just like oh the men thought there was something wrong with this woman for being a rising star like the women also thought that so i think part of this power that we have to wield as a culture is collective power to stop judging other women for when they're inhabiting it because that's the other side of it it's like what you can choose to do yourself to inhabit your own power but then how are you going to treat other women who are standing up and are yes, you are absolutely. you going to judge yeah, that's them a good, critically a good point jenny mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know we've talked about this before where you've had other women attack you or be mean to you or negative to you in certain situations. I really haven't had that. I have really positive reactions professionally with other women. But yeah, it's a good sort of checkpoint that it's not just, we're not just saying all men do this. It's everyone in our culture views women that way. And that is a huge, huge problem. And we need to examine why that is so and where does that come from and what are we believing about ourselves? As you know, I've been reading Caliban and the Witch and it's like a heavy read, but it's so fascinating and it's really helping me to understand where these internalized beliefs have come from for hundreds and hundreds. This isn't just like this modern day and age. This is years, hundreds and hundreds of years, decades of legislation and treatment and witch hunts and, you know, all sorts of horrible, horrible things that women all over the world have had to endure. And that is why we are the way we are today. And I think we'll talk more about that on a different episode. But I agree with you, we need to make the point that the problem and that these beliefs are men and women equally. It's not just a man problem, a male problem. No, no way. No. Some of my harshest 
the harshest relationships and harshest criticisms and most unfair things I've ever seen have been perpetrated by women. And I'm sure I've done it myself, right? So I think part of it is catching yourself when you do it. So yeah, I don't know. With that, (laughs) I will say, you know, this article, what caught my attention about this article in the first place is there's a quote that someone posted, I don't know, in LinkedIn or something that I saw. And it was taken out of the article as an excerpt. And it said, in 2018, there is no earthly reason, biological or otherwise, why men should have more power than women. So that's what caught my attention. That's what I sort of want to wrap the episode up with. There is no reason. Like all the reasons are bad reasons, right? So like, they're bad. So let's start undoing them systematically. Indeed. All right, let's move into joy and hustle. All right, why don't you talk about the joy? Okay, so for the joy this week, we are going to use Cauldron, which is a immersive training program uh, by one of our wonderful Namastream cust- uh, uh, clients and one of our past podcast guests, Kate Case from She Collective. She has an amazing program that's open right now called Cauldron. It is a year-long plus a day immersive training. It she her sort of tagline: "It's a school of ancient wisdom for the modern mystic woman." So she. She's got um, online training. She's there's an in-person retreat. There's all sorts of, of resources that she's giving you. It looks absolutely amazing. So check it out. I believe it's at shecollective.ca slash cauldron. It looks really beautiful and amazing I know, and exciting. And she's posting all kinds of pictures of like wolves in the fog on her Instagram about it. It makes me want to jump right in. So yeah, and then the hustle for today is just this series of articles in the cut, which we will link to, of course, in the show notes. I have not even read them all. There's just pages and pages of, of interviews with different women who are powerful. And again, the series is called Powerful Women Talk About Power. It's by Hannah Rosen. We'll link to it in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. It will help others find the show and enjoy it as well. So thank you all for listening. Nicely done with the ask. We're doing it. We're asking, asking, asking. All right. We will see you next time, folks. Bye-bye. Bye. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.